The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff, and I'm your host. Today, we are going to be doing one of our denominational debriefs that we do annually, and we'll be looking at or considering the Presbyterian Church in America General Assembly, which was held June 12th through 15th in Greensboro, North Carolina at the Corey Convention Center. This was the 45th General Assembly of the PCA. So compared to uh, the other two denominational debriefs that we've done so far this summer, this is a young denomination. If you're not familiar with the PCA, you can uh, look up information about her at PCANet.org. And um, it's also a denomination that the seminary is very um, near and dear to. Uh, This year, the General Assembly was hosted by the Piedmont Triad Presbytery in North Carolina, and Pastor Nathan Klein served as the chairman of the host committee. Those details are relevant because there's a lot of work that goes into putting together the PCA's General Assembly. Though it is a relatively young denomination, it is also the largest of our NAPARC body denominations, and so there's a lot of logistical um, details and things that need to be worked out to put on the General Assembly, so to speak. We have with us, to talk about the General Assembly, Dr. Ben Shaw. In the past, we've had uh, Dr. Rick Phillips and Pastor Daniel Jarsifer join us, and those men always do good jobs. And this year, we wanted to uh, get Dr. Shaw's take. Uh, Dr. Shaw is both the professor of Hebrew and Old Testament here at the seminary, but also our academic dean. He is the longest-serving professor here at Greenville Seminary, and he holds degrees from the University of New Mexico, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, Princeton Theological Seminary, and wait for it, Bob Jones University. He's also an active churchman. He serves in various capacities in Calvary Presbytery here in in upstate, and he's on committees at the General Assembly level, which he'll tell us a little bit about. And currently, Dr. Shaw and his wife, Lynn, attend Redeemer PCA, which is pastored by GPTS grad Philip Seeley in Silva, North Carolina. They were instrumental in the planting of that church a couple years ago. Dr. Shaw, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, You're welcome. So though GA, or General Assembly-related activities, began on June 12th in Greensboro, there is a lot of preparatory work that takes place in the weeks leading up to GA. Can you tell us, uh, Dr. Shaw, a bit about what goes on before the Assembly actually begins? Well, there's obviously all of the uh, background stuff lining up uh, the convention center, lining up all of the, you know, all that framework kind of thing uh, that's necessary to the successful uh, completion of any uh, of any convention. Uh, but in particular, uh, the one thing that, that takes place before the assembly is the meeting of the Committee on the Review of Presbytery Records. Uh, that usually takes place at least a couple of weeks before the assembly. It used to be done during the assembly, but the committee always found itself rushing to uh, get its report done um, while there was still a quorum uh, remaining at the assembly. And so the, the past several years, they've done it 
before the assembly so that the report could be completed uh, and then uh, presented relatively early in the assembly itself. Now, when you say while a quorum remains at the assembly, what exactly are you getting at there? Uh, what that means is that, again, several years ago when the assembly generally dismissed at, uh, at noon on Fridays, Friday morning there would often not be a quorum present, and so no action could actually be taken. So people would have left early? People would have left early, right. And meaning, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term quorum, enough commissioners weren't around to actually conduct business. Right. But the uh, Review of Presbytery Records uh, met uh, uh, the first week of uh, the very end of May and the first week of June. Uh, and, again, that's just a... a Part of what the uh, PCA calls review and control, where the higher courts review uh, and correct any, uh, review the actions of lower courts and uh, point out any mistakes or incorrect actions and try to correct that kind of thing. So we're, we'll dive in a little bit um, you know, into the general business of the assembly, but since we're talking about review of presbytery records right now, um, and I know you serve on that committee, Dr. Mm-hmm. Shaw, and you have for a number of years, uh, what, were, there anything, uh, were there any interesting uh, developments or, or things that came out of um, RPR this year that you'd want to comment on at this point? Uh, the the main thing that came out of uh, RPR was there was one presbytery that had uh, on the worship bulletin for the presbytery service had printed a uh, a picture reproduction of I think a nineteenth century uh, woodcut uh, presenting Christ teaching the apostles. Now. For those who don't know, the Westminster Confession uh, and catechisms, which are the doctrinal standards of the PCA, prohibit uh, the making of images of Christ. I think it is contrary to the second commandment. Uh, That's my own view. Um, But at any rate, the uh, review of Presbytery records, there was discussion as to whether this should be uh, reported as an exception of substance uh, the com- the committee as a whole decided that it was not, but there was a minority report that came to the presbytery, and frankly, to my surprise, the uh, minority report won. Uh, historically, I suppose that may not mean much, but I I think it is a remarkable given that if you look at the churches that initially pulled out and formed the PCA, Probably easily half of them have sanctuaries that have stained glass pictures of Jesus in them. So that when the PCA was formed, uh, even though this was in the doctrinal standards, uh, I think many men in the, in the uh, uh, denomination either didn't know that it was there or didn't believe it. And so the fact that here we are 45 years on uh, down the road, it, it it is an issue and people are discussing it. I think that's a good thing. And to be fair, uh, at least at least a couple churches that I'm familiar with that have these kinds of stained glass windows or other things in the church, mm-hmm. that the leadership may desire to remove them from the place of worship, but for whatever pastoral reason or pragmatic reason even, they decide not to because they would have a mutiny on their hands in the church. It would cause undue conflict, at least in their estimation, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it, it's a... Uh... It's a difficult issue to approach pastorally. It requires a certain amount of uh, 
education of the congregation. Uh, then there are historical issues, families in the church that are still present in the church whose uh, parents or grandparents or great-grandparents gave money uh, to the providing of those windows and that kind of thing. And it's it's um, it, it's just a difficult issue to uh, to deal with pastorally. Thanks, Doctor Shaw. And of course, we could spend a whole podcast on that on that particular issue and just the general issue of reformation in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a diversity of opinion in the PCA on, on what constitutes a second commandment violation. And it was interesting to see the debate that, that went on regarding this particular reproduction of pictorial representation of a member of the Godhead on a worship bulletin at a presbytery meeting uh, in the past year. Moving on, um, as we consider the General Assembly, the stated clerk's office reported that based upon the 60% or so of churches that provide statistical data to the clerk's office, the PCA consists today of 1,545 churches with 347 mission churches and an overall membership count of 374,161 members. How many men came to GA this year as voting commissioners representing uh, those members? Uh, 1,461. And how many of those were teaching elders and ruling elders? Uh, Teaching elders, 1,151. Ruling elders, 310. Uh, That's what about almost a a four-to-one ratio. Uh, Not good. We would like to have a parity. Uh, one-to-one ratio between teaching elders and ruling elders, but uh, this uh, four-to-one ratio is not really all that much out of line with previous years. So this isn't a recent development, but but it is a problem, and it's one recognized across the board as a problem. From what I understand, the stated clerk himself and his office are trying to take some steps toward rectifying this. What are they doing? Uh, The next big step is to whack one day off of General Assembly next year. Um, uh, start things up uh, a day later. Um, whether that will work or not in getting an increasing representation of ruling elders, uh, I, I don't think it will have any effect, but that's just my opinion. Isn't it more likely, and I don't want to be a naysayer, I think any any step that's taken in good faith to increase ruling elder participation is to be commended, but isn't it more likely that this is just going to rush the business of the court even more than it already is? Yes, I I don't have any doubt of that. Even this year, uh, before this uh, eliminating of one day from the uh, from the meeting, everything seemed rushed. Everything seemed forced. Everything, everybody seems in a hurry to get through things. That was my take as well as a first-time observer at the assembly. And I I didn't spend all of my time in the hall uh, during business. I had to man an exhibitor booth for the seminary. But the time that I did spend in there, it seemed like there was an atmosphere of, we got to get through this, we got to get through this, we got to get this done, Um, we can't get bogged down here. And there's obvious practical reasons for that. Now, out of those 310 ruling elders, this year we elected one of them to be moderator. And... Uh, do you know, uh, or can you tell us a little bit about who who our moderator was? And um, well, uh, as far as the moderator goes, uh, moderator of the general assembly alternates uh, between ruling elder and teaching elder. 
So next year it'll be a teaching elder. Following year it'll be a ruling elder. Uh, the uh, moderator this year was uh, Alexander June, who is a uh, ruling elder in a PCA church in California. He's an academic. He did something remarkable when he took the gavel. He uh, he introduced himself not only in English but in another language. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's been he was our first uh, uh, Korean um, moderator, uh, and uh, most of you may know that there is a sizable Korean uh, membership in the PCA, uh, and this was certainly uh, something that the Korean uh, commissioners really appreciated. Yeah. Dr. Shaw, how does the PCA conduct General Assembly? You know, what, what's the atmosphere like? What are the worship services like? And when do they take place? You know, uh, and other than the rushed nature that we already commented on, are there any distinctives to how, how the PCA conducts its business? It conducts it as a, uh, as a convention meeting. Uh, so, for example, I... Uh, generally will attend the annual meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, there are, for that, uh, a number of, a large number of individual seminars uh, and then brief business meeting. Uh, if you think in terms of the uh, the PCA, the the number of seminars is much smaller, the business meeting is much longer, uh, but that's the, the the way that it's set up. It's a, a business meeting with with seminars. Um, the uh, the atmosphere is very much convention like. There's a large display hall with uh, various uh, committees and agencies of the PCA and other uh, groups and agencies and schools with booths that, uh, uh, as it were, displaying their wares. The worship services tend to be sort of extravaganzas, uh, large choirs, uh, introduction of uh, new music, uh, prominent uh, preachers selected for, well, the the first worship service, which always takes place on Tuesday evening, uh, the preaching is always done by the retiring moderator. Uh, but then the other two nights, uh, the Wednesday and or the two the Wednesday and Thursday uh, services generally are selected by the host committee. Uh, but those are generally you know lights, uh, greater lights in the PCA who are selected for the preaching on those nights. Was there a special theme this year uh, to the worship services that Piedmont Triad picked out? There is a theme to the assembly every year. The, the, scene, the theme this year was come to the table. What were they getting at there? Inviting all to come to the table of the Lord, uh, emphasizing, I think, diversity and uh, the, uh, the global outreach of the gospel. Can you give us a brief overview of what happened over the course of the General Assembly? The business of the church. <laughs> the uh, we had, I, I think, three areas that were of significance this year. The 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 one, of course, the report of the overtures committee, which dealt with all the overtures that had come through the uh, uh, from the up from the presbyteries. Uh, the second is was the report of the ad interim committee on the role of women, and then the third was the uh, review of presbytery records. Uh, we've already dealt briefly with the uh, review of Presbytery Records report, uh, and that was 
Actually, this was a light year for review of Presbyterian records. There was only the one issue, really, that came up. Uh, as far as the Overtures Committee, I think probably the main issue that uh, came up uh, in the Overtures Committee was the Overture 2 from Calvary Presbytery, which was to give full constitutional status to Chapter 58 of the Book of Church Order, uh, which is the chapter on marriage. The BCO, uh, part of it is fully constitutional, part of it is not. Uh, and the, the, the that latter part, uh, generally connected with the conducting of worship services has not been given full constitutional authority. In other words, it doesn't it's not required uh, to be followed. Uh, the thinking of the overture was that this would simply strengthen our church's stand on marriage as only being between one man and one woman, therefore thereby denying uh, the legitimacy of gay marriage. Now, uh, the, the problem, there was a lot of discussion uh, in the committee. The committee essentially brought back a divided uh, recommendation against uh, the uh, overture. That answer disturbed a lot of people, although I think there were some who were making the point that the wording in BCO 58 is not as strong as we would like it to be, and so full discussion of that overture uh, was deferred to the next General Assembly. Other overtures that were approved were uh, of particular interest and I think particular significance was that from now on, any matters requiring General Assembly action shall come to the General Assembly through overtures from the lower courts. Uh, this is per- specifically really uh, in reaction to the Cooperative Ministries Committee uh, bringing the overture last year that created the uh, uh, the committee, the ad interim committee on uh, women in the ministry of the church. And when you say Cooperative Ministries Committee, who who's on that committee, and why would it be? Explain to our listeners why that would be an issue for that committee to uh, bring in something as significant as an ad interim study committee on such and such, as opposed to it coming through a presbytery. The Cooperative Ministries Committee is made up of the chairman of the permanent committees of the General Assembly, as well as past moderators of the assembly. Uh, Traditionally in Presbyterianism, requests for action, requests for discussion of issues has always come up from the lower courts to the higher court. Uh, And it was felt by many that the, uh, that this is essentially, uh, that this was essentially a move by the highest court to sort of impose its will on the uh, uh, on the assembly, so uh, just th- this is a clarifying and a specifying that we're going as the PCA to continue uh, traditional Presbyterian practice of these things coming up from sessions and from presbyteries rather than uh, being imposed uh, from above. There was another rule in in the RAO that was changed, and it had to do with um, BCO 25-3, right, to increase the size 
of a quorum for a congregational meeting called for the purpose of leaving the denomination. I wasn't even aware of, 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 well, I know I've read through BCO 25 in its entirety in the past, but probably just once. And so I didn't have this on my radar at all. Do you remember what originally the, the size was for a quorum and what did they bump it up to? Uh, to be honest, no, I don't remember the details. Um, the idea was that the the well the intent of the um, amendment is to preserve the rights of a minority in the church in the case where there is debate in the church uh, over whether to leave the denomination or not. Um, you know that decision to leave the denomination is a decision that's made at the local church level, and so uh, the state. What, what's uh, what does the BCO say as the standard quorum for a congregational meeting? I think that's paragraph two. Um, it 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 all depends, but. BCO 25.2 reads, Whenever it may seem for the best interests of the church that a congregational meeting should be held, the session shall call such meeting and give public notice of at least one week. Notice that it's up to the session what constitutes seeming for the best interests of the church. Anyway, no business shall be transacted at such meeting except what is stated in the notice. The session shall always call a congregational meeting when requested in writing to do so by one-fourth of the communing members of a church of not more than 100 such members, by one-fifth of the communing members of a church of more than 100 and not more than 300 such members, by one-sixth of the communing members of a church of more than 300 and not more than 500. And it actually keeps on um, going up, the ratio declining as the membership increases to, again, protect the interests of the minority in the church. And it says, upon such a proper request, the session cannot act, fails to act or refuses to act to call such a congregational meeting within 30 days from the receipt of such a request, then any member or members in good standing may file a complaint in accordance with the provisions of BCO 43. Now, paragraph 3 goes on to say that the quorum of the congregational meeting shall consist of one-fourth of the resident communing members if the church has not more than 100 such members, and of one-sixth of the resident communing members if a church has more than 100 such members. So if you have a church of 100, then you need at least 25 residing resident commuting members there in order to have a quorum but if you have a church of a thousand you would only need a sixth right the um the change uh uh would make the quorum if the if the purpose of the meeting is to discuss withdrawing from the denomination then the quorum has to be one half of the resident commuting members uh and so Again, it it's um, it, it it looks to preserve the rights of the uh, uh, of the minority, and and yet also uh, to ensure that there is a- adequate representation of all points of view on the issue. So I I, I think that was a, a reasonable uh, a change in the uh, uh, in the RAO. Now my question is, if a session deems the question of whether to stay in the denomination or not as unworthy of calling a congregational meeting, then could they leave or could they lead their congregation out of the denomination without calling a meeting? Is there, there's nothing in the BCO that says they have to call the meeting. 
Technically. Well, technically. Unless there's I, an implication there. Well, I think the implication there is that this is this is a significant element in the in, in the uh in the life of the church and it would certainly be subject to complaint uh if if the session said we're leaving and uh uh, it, it would certainly be a legitimate area of complaint from somebody in the, in the congregation saying, wait a minute, we never talked about this. And I'm not being intentionally subversive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to flesh out the different yeah. um, different things that could be said. I certainly think that if a session um, deem, you know, thinks that it would be wise to leave the PCA or any denomination for that matter, um, they, they should be calling a congregational meeting to discuss it, um, certainly. Uh, moving on, Dr. Shaw, from what I understand, we had two special committees uh, present reports at General Assembly. One was on the role of women in the PCA, and one was on racial reconciliation and ethnic diversity and, and promoting those things in the PCA. What were some of the big takeaways from these two committees? I know there is a lot. I mean, we went or the the assembly went through the recommendations for the women's committee, at least serially. And so there was discussion around every single recommendation, but what were some of the big takeaways? Well, the, uh, the committee on racial reconciliation and ethnic diversity, uh, just asked for another year to complete its work. So that there was no, nothing, uh, uh, big out of that. I, I do think it's interesting, uh, to note on that issue, that the PCA is already at this point more racially and ethnically diverse than the PC than the PCUSA is by percentages by, at least, yeah. by percentages right. Um, but as for the, uh, the the report of the committee on the role of women, um, the the way these reports work, the report is made to the General Assembly recommendations are made at the conclusion of the report, and it is only the recommendations that are adopted or rejected. Uh, in this case, all nine of the recommendations were adopted. Two of those were amended. Uh, you can find the details of that uh, on the Aquila report, or if you just simply uh, were to Google uh, actions of the 45th General Assembly, uh, uh, stated clerk's report. You could find that the detail there. But to summarize the recommendations, this was a status quo set of recommendations. In other words, there were not. This is. A, it was a report that said this is what's happening in the PCA. Let's keep it that way. There were uh, a couple of things. Um, uh, recommendation number four. Uh, was adopted as amended. The initial form of that said the ses- that sessions, if possible, establish a diaconate of qualified ordained men. Uh, though the Book of Church Order does not specifically prohibit the practice of going without ordained deacons, it, was, it seems poorly aligned with the spirit of the principle of the two church offices outlined in the Book of Church Order. The the issue that's being addressed there is that there are a number of churches in the PCA who have refused to ordain male deacons because they are committed to because they believe that both men and women ought to be ordained to the office of deacon, and 
since they cannot have women deacons, they have been refusing to ordain uh, male deacons. Now, the report as it, or the uh, as it was amended, uh, it was amended simply to say that sessions, if possible, establish a diaconate of qualified ordained men. Now, I know some guys complained about the if possible phrase there, um, preferring that it should say that sessions establish a diaconate of qualified ordained men. Uh, The problem with that is that there are some cases where there may not be sufficient qualified men to establish both a, a session and a diaconate. I remember a church plant uh, that I was in a number of years ago, uh, the uh, it was uh, when it was moving from a church plant to a particular church, uh, the presbytery recommended that they begin with only a session because there were not uh, there was not a sufficient number of men approved by the presbytery to stand for office to provide both a session and a diaconate. Um, the other recommendation that was adopted as amended was recommendation number six, uh, which uh, said that the the initial recommendation was that sessions and presbyteries select and appoint godly women of the congregation to assist the ordained leadership. These godly unordained women have often been histor- have often historically been referred to as deaconesses. That was amended. Uh, to read sessions and presbyteries select and appoint godly women and men of the congregation to assist the ordained diaconate. Um, Again, I think that was a clarifying, uh, helpful, clarifying issue. The, um, and, and, and frankly, uh, churches already do this kind of thing. It's, it's important to have input from various uh, elements uh, uh, various demographics in the congregation as the session uh, does its work. Uh, the the troubling recommendation to me that came out of this report uh, was the uh, recommendation number seven that presbyteries and the general assembly consider an overture that would establish formally the right of sessions, presbyteries, and the general assembly to establish the position of commissioned church worker within the PCA for qualified and gifted unordained men and women. Now, it it seems to many of us that that's creating a third church office for which there is no biblical foundation. Uh, And it it further disturbed me that the rationale for that um, was drawn uh, from the 1938 PCUSA Digest, which describes the qualifications and requirements for people desiring to serve as a commissioned church worker. Now, by 1938, the PCUSA had already been ordaining deaconesses uh, for 16 years. They had ordained uh, women ruling elders uh, beginning in 1930, and then by 1956, they were ordaining uh uh, women teaching elders. I'm not going to argue slippery slope here, but I think it's problematic that the PCA, in looking for direction, I think should look in better directions than the PCUSA in 1938, which was already well down 
the slope in, into solid liberalism. That's a good point. I, th- I think you, you broke down for us really well the different issues involved with at least the women's study report. And of course, there's more resources. There are more resources available on that. Um, you have Dr. Piper's writings on the subject at josephpiper.com. You have um, our, our latest uh, publication from the seminary, Equipping Preachers, Pastors, and Churchmen, has a an abridged article by Dr. Wilborn on NTC deliverances, which is really what an ad interim study committee's report is. It's an NTC deliverance of the assembly. And you may be wondering, is this binding on the on the PCA at all? How is this going to be used? Well, Dr. Wilborn gets into those questions there. You can download that book for free at our website, gpts.edu. We also have physical copies available at the seminary. Um, and then there's a variety of different uh, digests and reviews and, and, and responses to the the report of the ad interim committee on um, on women in the church. So, you know, avail yourselves of those and um, think through these issues deeply and, and think through them historically because the, the history of Presbyterianism in the United States and, and in Scotland and across the world, uh, you know, we've, there's nothing new under the sun. Dr. Shaw has a little commentary on Ecclesiastes coming out. So he's smiling as I say that, but um, you know, these are things that have been hashed out before. They've been worked out before. And so, you know, just, uh, you know, I implore you not to think through them ahistorically. Uh, enough enough from me. Were there any new special committees formed this year? I, I don't, I don't not, think not there were. Not that I but, recall, no. Yeah. And it, as far as the, uh, the Racial Reconciliation and Ethnic Diversity Committee in extending their work for another year, my understanding is that they've also been approved to raise something like $50,000 to conduct a survey. Yeah. Uh, good. Uh, it's, uh, it's essentially funding for research as well as, uh, as, well as meeting. And I think after they do the report next year, then they're going to um, launch a follow-up three years after that or in three years, uh, one or the other. I, I think, yeah, that will have to come up with the recommenda- in, in the recommendations of it. I think that's what their plan is, but they're going to – that will have to be part of the recommendation uh, of the report and would have to be approved by the Assembly. The commissioners also receive every year – annual progress reports from the 10 permanent committees of the denomination. These are um, The committees are Administrative, Covenant College, Discipleship Ministries, Covenant Seminary, Mission in North America, Mission to the World, PCA Foundation, PCA Retirement Benefits Incorporated, Reformed University Ministries, which is now Reformed University Fellowship at the denominational level, as well as at local levels. That was a change this year. It just makes sense. And then also the Ridge Haven Conference Center. Dr. Shaw, did anything stick out to you from their reports? No. They're all pretty pretty it, basic. It was things. all pretty cut and dried. Um, uh, again, uh, there might have been probably the most significant thing out of that was the change in the RUF uh, name from Reform University Ministries uh, to Reform University Fellowship. You know, there was a little line here. Um, well, a couple of things. I didn't realize that RUF had campus ministries in Peru, Greece, Mexico, Czech Republic, Spain, Colombia, and the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. But um, also, to put it casually, and then, uh, but something that's deeply encouraging here is Ridge Haven. They're going to have 
they're, they're projecting 5,000 summer campers this year, which is a tenfold increase in the last seven years. So over seven years ago, they had 500 people in a summer. This year, they're having 5,000 people in a summer. Um, to those those of you in the PCA who are not in the the American Southeast, you might not be familiar with Ridge Haven. I wasn't mm-hmm. before I moved down here, but I've already been up there um, once. I've had opportunity to go up there several times with with Woodruff Road. Um, they have a, a strong relationship with Ridge Haven, and I was blown away by how how nice a facility it is, and just how wonderful the staff are there. Yeah. So consider this a little well, infomercial. Again, for Ridge yeah, Haven. I mean the the changes that have have taken place at Ridge Haven in the last seven years is the reason why you've gone from 500 campers a summer to 5,000. They've done a lot uh, of improvement of the property there. And there was another thing I've spoken with um, one of our MTW recruiting coordinators, and I think Dr. Kim brought this up at GA as well, that MTW is set a goal that they want to see 1% of our entire adult membership in the PCA go into foreign missions, or he said would become missionaries, but I'm imagining he's meaning foreign missionaries. That would quad, more than quadruple our long-term missionary force, at least with MTW. Um, so that's another um, that's another very bold goal, a big goal uh, that that they've set for themselves. Doctor Shaw, uh, just to wrap up the podcast, what was the single most encouraging takeaway from General Assembly for you? Uh, single most encouraging takeaway was the. Uh the vote on the uh, second uh, commandment issue that was encouraging Um, and then you already share with us what we ought to be alarmed or concerned about um, particularly with this whole category of non-ordained commissioned church workers thing being imported or recommended to uh, to our denomination but any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners one way or another about GA? Well, I, I think two things that could significantly improve General Assembly. Uh, the first would be if pastors would spend a couple of weeks before General Assembly not only going over the docket but reviewing Robert's Rules for Dummies. Um, Part of the reason that a lot of the discussion at this year's assembly was over parliamentary procedure is because a lot of ministers are simply ignorant about parliamentary procedure. Uh, The other thing uh, that I think would be um, of benefit to the assembly uh, would be if men would shut their phones off completely during the assembly. And I, I realize in a certain sense that's unworkable. You 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 may have a need for the emergencies pop up all the time in the pastoral in the, in pastoral labors. But I part of the reason that we got lost in parliamentary procedure debates not was not only that men don't know parliamentary procedure. But it's also because they were distracted with their phones. They'd they'd get bored with the discussion, 
start looking at the phone. Then when they come back to the surface, they don't know where they are. Um, and I, I think, I think that whole, the technology can be helpful, but that's a, that, that's just an example of where I find it unhelpful. Thank you again for coming into the studio to talk through the PCA 45th General Assembly of the PCA. I, I enjoyed going for my first time. I enjoyed the fellowship that I had there, and I know you did too because we shared some fellowship. So I saw you enjoying fellowship <laughs> for at least part of the time. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to going again next year, and um, I'm looking forward to going to different assemblies and synods for ver- various denominations that Greenville Seminary serves. Again, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Anytime. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.